0: Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hands of our enemies To guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel.
1: Thank you, David. Today we finally reach the end of Luke chapter 1. With 80 verses, it's the longest chapter in the New Testament. And over 20 of those verses are taken up by Mary and Zechariah singing their respective songs of praise. I'm sometimes tempted to think that Luke's editor should have told him to cut the poetry and just get on with telling the story of the birth of Jesus. And one of the reasons why I would never make a good Anglican is because the Benedictus, the title given to Zechariah's song, is supposed to be read every day as part of morning prayers. And if I'm honest, when I'm reading through Luke's Gospel, it's one of those bits that I'm tempted to skip over. Uh, But the discipline of preaching through the Gospel in its entirety means that that isn't an option open to me or to you this morning. What struck me reading through the passage for today's sermon is the reference Zechariah makes in verse 73... To the oath that God swore to Abraham, which he says is about rescuing his people from the hand of their enemies and enabling them to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness all their days. And I thought, I don't remember that. Really? I'm not sure God said anything like that to Abraham. And sure enough, when I looked up the only reference there is in the Old Testament to God swearing an oath to Abraham, I found Genesis chapter 26, verse 3, where God speaks to Abraham's son Isaac and tells him that if he stays put, the Lord will confirm the oath that he swore to his father Abraham. And what was that oath? Well, Genesis 26, 4 spells it out. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. I will give them all these lands and through your offspring all the nations on earth will be blessed. Now that I do remember, this is familiar territory. Three facets of God's covenant with Abraham. More children than you can count. Our land for them to live in and the promise that they will be a blessing to the rest of the world. Those are big promises. But Zechariah doesn't mention them. Why swap major promises like these given to Abraham for the relatively minor promise that, well, you'll be able to serve God in holiness and righteousness every day? Seems a bit of a come down, a bit of a scaling back on what God promised Abraham. Why do it? So I began to think about God's promise to Abraham. To what extent were these promises fulfilled? Loads of descendants tick. A land for them to live in? Well, yes, but they had been kicked out of it before. And when Luke was writing all this down, their homeland was subject to Roman occupation. Were they being a blessing to all the nations of the earth? Well, if they were, it wasn't blindingly obvious. Most of their attention was given to keeping themselves separate from the nations of the earth, building walls rather than bridges. So maybe... Zechariah is taking a step back from God's promises to Abraham. Maybe the problem was that the descendants born to Abraham were not worshipping God and serving him in holiness and righteousness all their days. And that's why they weren't being a blessing to the rest of the world and why they weren't enjoying undisputed ownership of the land God had given them. That makes sense. How can God's people be a blessing to the nations? if they're not living as they should, wholeheartedly and exclusively for him. That's something for us to ponder, perhaps. How can we be a blessing to the rest of the nations if we're not living wholeheartedly and exclusively for God? And that's why Israel and us needed a saviour. Because the problem wasn't that God was failing to live up to his promises, the problem was rather that they weren't living their lives in accordance with God's purposes for them. So for God's promises to Abraham to be fully realised, Israel would not need to start to live wholly and exclusively for him. They would start to to need to live in a way that served him in holiness and righteousness all the days of their life. And to do that, they'd need a saviour. Someone who'd save them not just from their enemies, but also from themselves. So that they could start to live as the people of God should be living and what applies to Israel applies to us as you read through Luke's gospel and acts you can see that as far as Luke is concerned the promises to Abraham are fulfilled in the church the promises that Zechariah talks about are fulfilled in the church time and again he refers to the followers of Jesus being saved from the hands of their enemies Serving him, serving God fearlessly in righteousness and holiness everywhere they go. And being a blessing to the rest of the world as they bring the good news of Jesus to the nations. So Zechariah's prophecy applies not just to Israel, but also to us as God's people today in Horsham. God's promise to Abraham, you will have more children than you can count. People get added to Abraham's family today through faith. As they come to trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. Through our work and witness, it's our prayer that people would come to faith, come to Christ. That part of Abraham's promise is fulfilled as we grow as a church through our work and our witness. The second part of the promise, a land where they can live. Church needs to be a place where people can live safely, emotionally, where they can find security and acceptance, so that they can live their lives in a place of emotional safety. Church should be an extended family, where people can be nurtured in their new identity as God's children. And being a blessing to all the nations of the earth? Well, that happens as we share the good news of Jesus with others. And Horsham and the wider world benefits from having 200 or more people from Brighton Road looking to serve God in holiness and righteousness all the days of their lives. And then I thought, actually, that ties in a little bit with our vision for Brighton Road, our relationship with our community. If Abraham's family grows through people coming through faith, then in terms of our relationship with our community, our vision is that we as a church will grow. And we will be a blessing to Horsham and to the wider world. Remember Tara Gagan in your prayers. She left on Friday to work in a refugee camp in Greece. Pray that she would be a blessing to God's people she encounters there. And in terms of our relationship with each other, that as we thought about, we would be an extended family where people will find security, where they will be nurtured in their new identity as God's children and in terms of our relationship with God, that we would be a people who serve God in holiness and righteousness all our days. And as we live for God like that, that we would get to be a blessing to our community and the wider world, and the church will become a place where people find acceptance and security, things that they need in order to grow as followers of Jesus. Are we there? Is that happening? We're not quite there at the moment. Are we growing? No, not really. Are we being a blessing to the town and the wider world? Up to a point we are, but there is a lot of unrealised potential there. Are people finding that they are being welcomed so that they feel secure and accepted as members of God's extended family? Some do, others don't. That's a matter for concern. Are we all committed to living our lives for God and serving him as we should on a daily basis? Well, that's up for you to search search your own heart and to decide whether that's true of you or not. But if these things aren't true, at the moment, as we would want them to be and as God purposes them to be. If the church isn't growing, if we're not being a blessing to our community and the wider world, if people aren't finding security and safety and growing in their fellowship with us, if we're not living for God as we should every day, we need a saviour. We need someone to rescue us. We need someone to sort us out. We need someone to set us straight and get us where we should be. Because without Jesus, none of this is ever going to happen. We need a saviour who will rescue us from ourselves. Because left to our own devices, we fail. Which is why we need to, if we are to realise this vision of the kind of church we feel God is calling us to be, we are only ever going to do it through prayerful reliance and trust in God. Because our good intentions are not going to get us anywhere near far enough. So I think God is calling us to enter 2019 as a people who are living in conscious dependence upon him. In prayerful expectation, in waiting that he will work. So that at the end of 2019, by God's grace, we'll be able to look back and say, this happened not because we did it, but because God did it. And that means we need to be a people of prayer trusting in God as our Lord and Saviour. I wonder one of the one of the issues we grapple with is, is the prevailing culture of middle-class horsemen, which is to keep everyone respectably at arm's length. We don't live in each other's pockets. We give people plenty of space. We keep a respectful distance. And that's fine, so long as they don't need a greater degree of emotional intimacy and commitment than we are happy to give them, in which case it's easy for them to start to flounder. Maybe in terms of sharing our faith, we we keep a respectful distance. Keeping faith out of the conversation because we don't want to cross barriers that people have erected to keep issues of faith at bay. And perhaps we keep God a little bit at a distance as well. Um. Because actually, we have so many other things that we need to get on with in terms of our agenda. So many demands on our time. And so perhaps when it comes with our relationship with God, and our relationship with each other, and our relationship with our community, we tend to go for the harsh and polite handshake. Rather than the warm, unreserved embrace. Which some people, and certainly God, are looking for. So maybe in this coming year, in terms of our relationship with God, with each other and our community, there are some barriers that God wants to lower. And that could be a little bit of a scary prospect. Jesus needs to save us from ourselves and from the cultural attitude that makes us keep everyone and everything at arm's length, but also from our fears. Zechariah talks about uh, people being able to serve God every day without fear. And maybe fear has more of a say in how we behave than we like to admit to ourselves. The website mindbodygreen.com talks about ten indicators that our lives are governed by fear. A fear of criticism, a fear of rejection can make us try over hard at being perfect or can make us pretend to be better than we really are because we don't believe that people would accept us if they knew what we were really like on the inside. A fear of failure can cause us to shy away from trying anything new or different for the first time. We sometimes say yes when we mean no, because we're afraid of upsetting other people or appearing to be different. Sometimes we say no when we mean yes, Because we're afraid of what the consequences of saying yes might be. We sometimes try and drown our fears or blot them out by drinking too much, eating too much, watching too much TV, spending too much online, where we can too much time online, where we can build a virtual reality that is safe and suits us. Some of us procrastinate because we're afraid of making decisions. Some of us find that when fear takes control, we're like a rabbit in the headlights, absolutely paralysed, not knowing what to think, let alone what to say or do. We can contrive and control our fears by becoming a control freak, micromanaging every aspect of our lives and the lives of those around us, and refusing to divert from any plan we've worked out in intricate detail. Some of us just don't say anything for the fear of getting it wrong, looking stupid, or upsetting somebody, and these kind of fears can make us physically unwell. We're used to the idea that Jesus is a savior who can rescue us from our sins, but actually, he saves us from our fears as well. Because he is Lord, he invites us to trust him for the things that are outside our control. Because he is our savior, his acceptance of us and his forgiveness when we get it wrong mean that in him we can find the acceptance and the security that help prevent fear from getting into the driving seat of our lives. He hasn't given us a spirit to make us slaves to fear, but he has given us a spirit which assures us that we are God's children, a spirit of love, of power, and of clear thinking. And if we ask that spirit to govern our hearts and minds on a daily basis, we can begin to find that we are less and less inhibited by fear and more and more empowered to do a good job of living every day for God, as we should. I'm aware that for the Sunday before Christmas, this doesn't feel much like a Christmassy message. That's because Luke spends so long in chapter 1 before the birth of Jesus arrives, you can blame him. But I always think, you know... But there's a danger, even amongst those of us who are Bible-believing Christians, of reading the stories of Jesus' birth just a little bit, as if they're, well, they're ancient stories. We know that they're true, but somehow, because of all the angels and the, the stars and the inexplicable things, they read a little bit, like in ma- ancient legends about imaginary people that have nothing to do with real life. It is so different from life as we know it. But Zechariah's prophecy about what his son John and Jesus would do between them has everything to do with real life. Everything to do with you in the 21st century in Horsham. Everything that God wants to do for you, if you allow him to get close enough. You see, serving God in holiness and righteousness all our days is not about withdrawing into some kind of religious ghetto. It's about being equipped and empowered to live effectively for Jesus in public, in the daily arena. And it's as we live like that in our relationships with God, with each other, and with our community, that everything becomes more real. As we live each day for God together, we will become more and more like an extended family, where people quickly find the sense of security and belonging that they need. And we can be a blessing to our community and we will begin to grow. So rather than keeping God, each other and everyone else at a safe distance, we're called to allow Christ to rescue us from our fear, pull down the barriers and let everyone get just a little bit closer. And if the idea of that makes you really nervous, there's no need to be. Because God has given you a saviour Jesus Christ and his mission is to enable you to serve God without fear and to live your life in holiness and righteousness before him every single day that's his calling that's his gift